Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, this is part two of our mental health series. Yes, yes, it is. It's a three-part series. And uh, last week's episode was incredible. I especially enjoyed having Allison Cook on the episode to provide us some expertise perspective, some uh, additional commentary, and she's going to be back at the very end of this episode, the end of the interview. You'll want to stick around. We're bringing in Allison Cook, one of our resident counselors, back to give us some thoughts on this particular episode. Um, If you're interested to find out more about Allison, she was interviewed in episode 68 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, and she was our August bonus episode, which you can access as a monthly partner by making a tax-deductible donation of $5, $10, or $20 a month, and you get access to bonus material. Yeah. So speaking of monthly partners, all of our monthly partners have actually been given access to join us on our Israel trip that we're going to be mm-hmm. having in October 2020. And yeah. we it's going to be amazing. It's going to be such an incredible trip. And we want you there with us. And unfortunately, we only have 50 spots available. We have um, sent this invite out to past guests that we've had on the show, mm-hmm. to our monthly partners. And now um, we are offering it to um, our subscribers. And so um, between now and September 30th, if you subscribe to our email list, you will have access to come on this trip with us. And um, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah. So on September 30th, we're going to send out an email to our email subscribers. So this is different than the podcast subscribers. You have to actually go to our website, subscribe to our email list. And on September 30th, we'll send out an email saying, here's the registration link. And uh, October 12th, through the 20th of 2020. That's the date for this trip. It's going to be incredible. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. While you're going to A, become a monthly partner, and while you're subscribing to the email list, go ahead and rate and review the podcast. And if you have any questions or anything that we can do for you, email us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. And um, you're not going to want to miss some of the things that we do on Instagram. Nothing is wasted ministries. Got a lot of good giveaways that we participate in and uh, give you the ability to win certain books and resources and stuff like that. Yeah. And so make sure you follow us there. Yeah, I, uh, I I particularly love anytime you do like behind the scenes uh, clips of the interviews that you've had um, when you post those on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think that they're great. So. I know. Now let's talk about who we have on the show today. Today we have Kayla Steckline. And maybe you've heard of her. Maybe you've heard her story. Mel, I know you're very familiar with her story. I remember hearing about this story just about a year ago when we are recording this. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just having a husband that is um, a pastor, it really hit home with me personally. And um, yeah, and her, and if you don't know about Kayla, her husband died by suicide, um, and we just want to forewarn our listeners that um, that there is some mature content in this episode um, that um, if you are with young listeners or if you yourself have um, known somebody that has died by suicide, this um, this might be a hard episode. So we want to just put that on the front yeah. end. Um, but I, I love this episode. Hearing Kayla speak, um, I know that this 
has to be so hard um, to mm -hmm. discuss, but just hearing her step out on faith and share her story and really um, let God use her life in this way, it was so beautiful and yeah. so worshipful for me to hear. Yeah. Well, you know, this story impacted all of us, Mel, who were in ministry, because I think so oftentimes, especially as pastors, pastors' families, we're, we're going and going and going, and we've all felt the feelings of, um, man, I'm not really making a difference, or felt the feelings of, I'm trapped, I can't get out of this. We felt kind of the pressure of ministry and uh, just the despondent feelings of, you know, is this really impacting anybody? I'm, I'm expending so much energy. We also mm -hmm. underestimate oftentimes um, how much those feelings have an effect on our emotional well-being. And mm -hmm. there's so many pastors. I mean, I've sat in circles with pastors and they've been really vulnerable and admitted to um, even thinking about how they would take their own life. Mm. I mean, these are, these are conversations that, that pastors are having and the listener may not be privy to that, but, but I can tell you as, as a pastor, I'm in these conversations. I hear these things. And, um, and so this, this story gripped me. I remember mm -hmm. watching a bunch of the videos of, um, of her late husband preaching even right before all of this happened and just being, just being fascinated by it, which I think is why I also feel very empathetic uh, toward Kayla, not just because of the tragedy that she's walked through, but because I, I understand what it's like to have your life be thrust in this national spotlight for a tragedy. Yeah, definitely. And it, that can be a very unnerving thing as well as a very difficult thing to, to try to navigate because here you are on one side of things, you're trying to, you're just trying to grieve this. You know, there's part of you that's like, in fact, most of you that's like, I just want to be alone to grieve this. And yet those of us who um, are in ministry and we've dedicated our lives to ministry, we, we usually recognize, and, I, and I've shared this with, with Kayla, she, she felt the same thing, that we recognize that these kinds of things um, that, that God has, has given us out of this, I mean, his heart breaks out of these things, but out of these kinds of things, God's given us um, a, an opportunity to speak into some of these issues that people are dealing with. Yeah. And it's like this, it's like this uh, incredible burden that you don't want to carry, mm. and yet you've been tasked with to carry. And it's like a stewardship thing. I remember wrestling with that myself personally, going, I... I, I, like, I don't want to stand in front of national television and talk about what just happened. Yeah. But I also, I had in the back of my mind, you know, the verse of, if you don't acknowledge me before men, then, then I won't acknowledge you in front of the Father. And so I knew that as they were wanting to, you know, put cameras in front of our faces, I knew that this was, this was a, a moment that I needed to talk about Jesus and the goodness of God, even when... We weren't feeling it. Mm. And so I, I think what people don't understand, and oftentimes there can be some criticism, and I, I just kind of watched this in Kayla's life, and so we got an opportunity to talk about this, it's that people will will begin to question motives and they'll begin to um, uh, uh, assert kind of their own projection of what 
they believe this someone's doing and that they're they're trying to capitalize on or or be opportunistic about these kinds of tragedies by you know having this platform and and what people don't understand is that Kayla myself like we we turned these things down. I mean, for every 20 people that asked us to interview on, in our family, when Amanda's tragedy happened, we, we, we said yes to one for every 20. We turned down the rest of them. Wow. Because we didn't want to. And, and we're like, this is not, we want to grieve by ourselves. And yet at the mm-hmm. same time, we want to give Jesus the glory for everything, even in the times where we're walking through something really difficult. And, um, mm-hmm. So these are these are tough gray waters to navigate, um, but I, I just really, man, I'm just proud of Kayla. I'm proud of what she's done with this um, and turning and, and, and turning this around and, and stepping into the triumph that God has for her life out of this tragedy. Yeah. So yeah, definitely, Davy. That's that's good. That's good stuff right there. So what would you say to uh, one of our listeners who hasn't had um, a tragedy on um, a large scale happen to them? Um, Somebody that has probably walked through something really difficult, but it's more of a private situation. Mm. What would you say to them? Well, that's a really good question. I think that no matter what tragedy you're walking through, your pain can be a platform to give God glory. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. people use their pain to try to garner attention for themselves. And so they'll put, you know, different posts up on Instagram and Facebook. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. You know, sometimes you can't recognize it. The only person that knows it is you and your own heart. What's the motivation behind why I'm, why I'm posting about this or why I'm talking about this in my small group, why I'm taking up the time to discuss this with my friends? Is it to try to garner attention for myself or pity for myself or, mm. you know, sympathy for myself? Or, or is it to give God glory? And I think in every one of our tragedies, God is inviting us into an opportunity to say, okay, I know this looks bleak. I know this looks grim, but still God gets the glory. Yep. And, and, you know, he is deserving of all the glory of all of this. And so I think in your own heart, you know, you have to recognize you have a platform with the pain that you're walking through. Every one of us, whether it's one-on-one, in a small group, on Instagram, Facebook, you know, or if you've been thrust in front of thousands and thousands of people, you have a platform. And that platform is not to be terminated on you. It's to be terminated in giving God the glory. And so I'm just so, again, I'm proud of Kayla for what she's done in, um, in, in, in her own story to do that. And she's helping people through this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Well, I am eager for our listeners to hear this episode. So let's jump into it now. Kayla, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. Um, I, I told you before we went on air that this is a conversation that um, I've anticipated all week um, as we've been looking forward to, but I've also felt extremely heavy about. And I think that's because there's so many different commonalities in our stories and in, in losing a spouse in such a, a public way as well. Um, and also because it's a pastor's family. And when when you're um, when you walked through, well, you're continuing to walk through, but when when you experienced what you did a year ago, our eyes were glued to everything that we could get our hands on to just just find out how we could help you guys and how we could pray for you guys. And so, first of all, before anything, I, I just want you to know I'm sorry for what you guys have walked through. Um, 
but I've also seen how God is beginning already to use that for good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm honored that you would come and, and share a bit of your story and uh, share what God's doing out of that. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Would you, um, normally we talk about life, you know, as it is right now, but mm-hmm. you're, you're in the throes of walking through a valley right now. Um, yep. And so why don't you start and just kind of tell us uh, maybe the beginning of your story. Um, okay. Talk to us about what your family was like and then, and then lead us up to um, uh, what happened last August. Sure. So our story is a bit of a long story. Um, That's okay. To really We've got time. fully <laughs> understand. Yeah. To mm. really fully understand why what happened happened. Yeah. Um, in 2010, we got married, me and my husband, well, he was my fiance at the time, but me and, me and Andrew got married in 2010. And, um, we actually moved to Seattle and worked at a church up there for six months mm-hmm. and quickly felt God's pull to come back. We didn't know why, um, we live in California, Seattle rains a lot. So we kind of blamed it on the weather, <laughs> yeah. but we were really feeling this pull, like God wants us back in California. So after only six months, we came back and um, we didn't have jobs lined up. We weren't sure what we were going to do. Um, and my husband actually ended up getting a job at his parents' church. He had worked there before we left and we kind of wanted to go off on our own adventure. Mm-hmm. But we came back and he plugged right back in as the creative director at his parents' church. So he was overseeing weekend services and music and totally like his niche, yeah. like the best thing, best job. He was super excited about it. So we started that position that would have been the fall of 2011. And about two months later, his dad was diagnosed with leukemia. Mm. And his dad was the lead pastor of our church. He, My husband grew up in the church. He was three years old when his parents started the church. Mm. So this was their baby. They had grown it. Incredible church, large church, growing church. Um, and his dad, a really honorable, really amazing man. Mm. So it was a huge blow to our church community and to our family. Yeah. So... He, um, my husband pretty much right away stepped up his role. So he kind of went from being the creative director for only a couple months to like full on sitting in the hospital room next to his dad, who we're not sure is going to make it or not. He had very aggressive leukemia. Um, they're both, we have pictures of them both on their laptops and they're planning message series together and they're booking guest speakers together and they're wow. trying to figure out and they're basically running the church together from a little hospital room at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA. Mm. And so he was thrust into um, leading at a very large level and um, carrying a lot of the weight of the church. And he would have only been 23 years old. So very young. And we were young newlyweds, not even married for a year. So we kind of walked the leukemia journey for about four years. His dad battled. He went into remission and it would come back, it'd be remission, it would come back. And uh, about three months before he passed away, um, we had this really special service at our church. Um, my father-in-law wheeled onto the stage in his wheelchair and we had the board and I was up there and his mom. And it was this really epic, awesome moment where his dad literally handed my husband a baton. Wow! And, and it was engraved with the day and the place. And um, he became the lead pastor of the church at 26 years old. Wow. So we did that. And then three months later, his dad passed away. Mm. So we were really grateful for God's timing in that. Um, we wanted it to be later in the year, but we just felt the nudge to have it earlier. And we're so grateful that um, his dad got to be there for yeah. that really special moment. So 
his dad passes away and he's my husband, super driven, super passionate about the church, cares deeply about the church. And he kind of put the church before his own grief. Mm. So he took only took like two weeks off to grieve and went right back to the church and uh, was doing a series on heaven, wanted to lead the church through their pain. His heart was for the church. His heart was for the people and he should have taken more time, but he didn't. And that was just kind of how he was. He was a hard worker. He was extremely driven, extremely passionate about what he was doing, loved what he was doing, knew where he was headed, had a ton of vision, um, incredible, incredible man. And so we led the thing together, led the church together for uh, three years. Hmm. And um, it would have been the fall of 2018. No. Fall of 2017 mm-hmm. was when um, things started to change for us. Uh, we were leading the church together, but there's always complications with leading ministry. I know that right. you know that and um, can be lonely at the top and there can be a lot of pressure at the top. Yeah. And a couple of that with the loss of his dad, the person that was his mentor and that he looked up to and it was really like teaching him how to do this. Yeah. He was gone. Uh, there was an also a stalker issue with our family. Mm. And that really just um, triggered this sense of fear in my husband. And um, it, it changed our life radically as well. So it triggered this fear. The stalker triggered the fear. And the fear triggered panic attacks. Mm. So he started having very debilitating panic attacks about two to three times a week. And um, they would mostly come on at night. He'd be trying to go to sleep and he would just go into this full-blown panic. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a panic attack or seen somebody in a panic attack, but his whole countenance would change. His eyes, it was like you could see the fear in his eyes and I wasn't able to help him. Mm. And um, to the point where he'd be pacing around the house, he'd be rolling around on the floor, he'd be curled up in a ball, he'd be trying anything to get it to go away. And his was extreme chest pain. And then his like extremities would start to go numb as well. Yeah. Um, so that was happening two to three times a week. Really scary. We didn't know what was going on. It came on very suddenly. And at first we thought it was his thyroid. He had had Mm -hmm. thyroid issues in the past, a hyperthyroid. And if you Google hyperthyroid, he met like all the criteria for hyperthyroid, like weight loss, panic attacks, anxiety, sleeplessness, agitation, like everything he met. Yeah. So we were treating it like it was thyroid and not treating it like it was mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so we were going down that route, um, pursuing doctors, pursuing tests, trying to get to the bottom of the thyroid problem. And, um, and it would have been March of 2018. Um, we finally got the test back for his thyroid. We talked to the doctor on the phone and, and they said, well, like everything's normal. Like his thyroid looks fine. Like there's nothing abnormal that we see. And that threw my husband into an even bigger panic attack. Like just that phone call alone sparked a really big panic attack. So we ended up going to the hospital that night and they ran more thyroid tests. We really wanted to make sure it was not his thyroid. So they ran more thyroid tests and they were certain too that it was not his thyroid. So we came home from the hospital that night and had the board over at our house and we all decided this guy needs to take a break. We just thought he was tired. He was running fast, running hard. He was a very driven person and he hadn't taken a break since his dad passed away. So we just thought, man, he's tired. He needs to rest. He needs to take some time off. So we put him on a sabbatical 
And um, the board went in front of the church. They were very honest with the church, told them that he was struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and he was just needed to rest. So the church was clued in on what was going on and the church was extremely supportive. We got hundreds of cards and gifts and prayers and we felt surrounded by support, which was a really beautiful thing too. I mean, he had held the church together through the leukemia journey. So they loved our family immensely. And so we put him on the sabbatical. We realized it's not the thyroid. So we are like, okay, what is it? What are we like, what is going on? So we start seeing a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist diagnoses him with depression. Mm. And I'll never forget sitting in the psychiatrist's office with him and those words coming out of the psychiatrist's mouth, your husband has depression. And I remember being so stunned. Mm. I don't know why I was so stunned, but I was. And I just kind of sat there silently and we, we walked out to the car. And as soon as we got in the car, I just weeped. And I cried really hard. And I said to my husband, how did we end up here? Mm. How did we get here? How did this happen? Like to you, like this strong, amazing man of God that like could conquer the world, it seemed like. Like how did this happen? And um, he was actually relieved to have a diagnosis. He was actually relieved to finally figure out what the heck was going on with his body. So we started treating it for depression. And that would have been in April of 2018. So he's on a sabbatical. We're treating it like it's depression. He's um, doing all the right things that he can do to get better. He's He had lost a bunch of weight. It was very scary. So he was mm. working out a ton and drinking like thousand calorie protein shakes twice a day, trying wow. to put back on muscle. He was running to God. There were a lot of days where he would just be back in the bedroom. Um, his mood was very unpredictable. I didn't know who I was going to get each day. I didn't know if he was going to be happy or if he was going to be sad or if he was going to be angry, or if he was going to be full of anxiety or full yeah. of fear, or if he was going to have a panic attack or if he was going to be happy and like want to hang out and spend time with us. Like I never knew what I was going to get. And a lot of the times he would be back in the bedroom and he'd have his big headphones on and he'd be blasting worship music and crying. Mm-hmm. So he, he felt, um, I think a little, like a little out of control, a little out of his body. He still felt um, a little lost, I think, in what was really going on. But he, we were trusting the doctors and we were leaning into the doctors. He was seeing the psychiatrist every other week. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every single week. We were meeting with the board to make sure we were on the right track and they were checking in with us about once a month. Yeah. And he was going on solo trips by himself to go have solitude time with God and pray and just be, sit with God. And we were going on trips together, just the two of us without kids, which yeah. is like really hard to do when you have a house full of kids. We also had three kids. I think I forgot to mention that we had yeah. three kids wow. to three little boys during this leukemia battle. And then we welcomed our third boy after his dad passed away. So we had a house full of kids too. So running a church, that's growing. That's amazing. But it's a lot of work. Staff of about 40 people, a church of about 4,000 people. And then we have this house with three little rambunctious boys wow. <laughs> that at the time would have been four, no, five, three, and one when he got diagnosed. So incredibly busy home. So for me during the summer, as he's, as he's battling with depression and wrestling with depression and wrestling with mental illness, I'm busy with the kids. Yeah. So I'm trying to make it to as many appointments as I can and trying to be as supportive as I can. But a lot of the times he was back in the bedroom and I was just busy with the kids. 
Um, so he wrestled with depression and anxiety for the whole summer and we tried to do everything we knew to do to get him better. And, uh, about middle, middle of July, the doctors thought, you know, like maybe it'll be good for him to go back to work and Andrew being driven and his heart being for the church. Like he knew, um, that he needed to go back. I think he felt that he needed to go back. I think he felt just the, um, the pressure that he put on himself to lead strong and lead well. Right. And he hated that this whole thing was getting in the way. Mm-hmm. So we made a plan and in, in August he returned to work and his whole goal was to ease back in. He kept saying he wanted to ease back in that he knew he was not a hundred percent. He told the board and told the staff and told our family that he was about 65%. Mm. And so he went back to work and um, he gave two messages. He called the series hot mess Mm. and his whole goal was to tackle what he'd been going through. He wanted to share his journey. He wanted to talk about depression and talk about panic attacks and talk about suicide and talk about mental illness and really share what he had been going through and encourage people that were walking through it too. So first weekend back, church is packed. People are sitting on the floor. They're giving him a standing ovation, like so excited that he's back. And I got to go on the stage with him. And it was just this really special moment. And I remember standing on the stage with him and kind of sharing our journey with the church and, and telling them that he was running so hard, running so fast, and he didn't want to stop. And if, and if he didn't stop, it would have cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gave that message, gave another message. And in the second message, he gave out the suicide hotline statistics mm. and was talking about um, just things from the NAMI website, you know, different statistics about mental illness and suicide. And and he knew the facts. Like he knew all the information. He gave out the suicide hotline number. Like he mm. knew all the right answers. And he, he understood, um, logically understood what he was going through and right. rationally knew where to go for help and was was helping other people. But I think at the same time, he still had this inner battle going on Mm. inside of him. Um, And he wasn't a hundred percent. He was only 65%. And so headed into the third, the third weekend, he was supposed to give another message and headed into that weekend. He just had a really bad day at the office. There was a trigger and just Mm. had a really awful day at the office. And kind of sent him in a spiral and the next day is when he attempted suicide. And I just remember all of us, the whole church, our whole family just being completely shocked. Like this man that we thought was getting better, that had just come back from sabbatical, that had just given two incredible encouraging messages on mental illness, that was giving out the suicide hotline number, that was giving out the suicide statistics, like this incredible man that had a heart for God, that had a heart for the church. Like, like how, like why, like what, like Mm. so confused. So he attempted and, and we went to the hospital and he was on life support. And basically the doctors told us there was nothing that they could do. Um, but I'm really grateful for those hours that we did have at the hospital with him. Um, it's really, really special moments that that we had to say goodbye because it was so sudden, you know, we, yeah. we didn't see it coming. So we had about a day at the hospital with him and got to hold him and got to play those same songs that he was playing back in the bedroom over the summer. Um, 
and got to literally lay on the bed with him and hold his hand. And I was begging God for a miracle. Yeah. I was begging God to bring him back. I was bartering with God, telling God how he could use this tragedy for his good, how he could use this story, how much more powerful this story would be. You know, yeah. I was begging God and, and arguing with God and telling God, how could I tell my boys? Like, how, how could this happen? Like, this cannot happen. Like, yeah. this cannot happen. And unfortunately, I just didn't get the answer I was looking for. None of us got the answer we were looking for. And on August 25th, that evening, he went to be with Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Kayla, I know that um, there's probably, there's probably two, you know, if, if I think about asking you this question, I think about it in two parts. Yeah. I know that there was probably a tremendous amount of, um, emotional weight that you were carrying, things that you were feeling, maybe helplessness, all of those things before, you know, Andrew went to be with Jesus and then as well immediately after. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can give us some some insight into both of those parts and what were the different emotions that you were feeling on either side of that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I was I was exhausted. It had been um, basically seven years of struggle. Yeah, We had struggled through leukemia. We had struggled through leaving a church and just being young and the challenges that come with that and getting burned by staff and just things that come with leading any kind of organization. And then we had this battle with mental illness. So before he passed away in the weeks leading up and the days leading up and the moments leading up to him passing away, like I was just tired, mm. like raising three little boys, like house full of kids. I was exhausted. And I think I was already feeling like, where are you God? Yeah. And how come you're not pulling through and how come you're not answering our prayers? I remember during the summer driving down to our favorite lifeguard tower with my husband and sitting on on the sand in front of the tower and begging God to heal him, begging Mm -hmm. God to take away the mental illness, begging God to just make it go away and make him whole again. And so I think when the suicide happened and the shock of that and the pain of that and the just paralyzing fear in that, I think I felt let down again Mm -hmm. by God. Like, God, I keep crying out to you. God, I'm doing everything I know to do to run to you and to beg you and to pray and to invite you in and to make you the leader of my life and of my home and of my family. Like, why are you allowing horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing to happen to our family? Like, this cannot be another horrible thing that happens to our family. So in those moments at the hospital, I'm begging God for a miracle. Yeah. So that was kind of the before, just already tired, already mad at God and frustrated with God and already at the end of my rope Yeah, and just all areas, just worn out, worn out mom, worn out wife. Right. My, my, I feel like I'm in this desert season in my faith. I feel like, where are you God? And then, and then like the biggest blow that could ever happen, right. you know, then he's gone. And then it's even more so like how in the world, like why didn't you pull through? Like Mm -hmm. the whole church is praying and it seems like the whole world is praying. Like I posted an Instagram at the hospital when we first got there because they were running tests, asking people to pray. So I knew that like a ton of people were praying 
And so it was this frustration with God right away, you know, like this, this letdown, like how could you allow another, you know, we just lost his dad less than three years before. Like, how could you allow our church to lose two lead pastors and our family to lose the patriarch of our family, you know, my, my father-in-law and then now lose my husband. And like, how could you allow this to happen? So immediately just full of like uh, disappointment and frustration and deep sadness and deep grief and confusion and um, yeah, sad in that, you know, that night and into the next day. And, and then pretty much right away, like I felt compelled to defend my mm-hmm. husband. Yeah. I knew that our story was like spreading like wildfire and I knew people were watching and looking in and mm-hmm. I knew they were going to be telling the church he passed away on a Saturday night. So the next day they were going to be in front of the church telling church and I wasn't going to be there. Wow. So I posted um, something to social media and then a few days later I wrote him a letter mm-hmm. that we shared on our blog. We had this blog called godsgotthis.com that was already there. We had started it when his dad was diagnosed with leukemia back in 2011 as mm-hmm. a way to communicate the leukemia leukemia journey with our church. So we already had this blog and um, I wrote him this letter and basically just humanized him for the world. And and I wanted his life to be defined by the way he lived, not the way he died because people were so focused on the way he died and shocked by the way he died as I was, you know? Um, So I wrote him this letter and, and I think um, that week, was the turning point in my um, in my season with God, in mm. my desert season with God. I mean, I, I know I kind of got thrust into an even deeper wilderness, into an even, even lower valley, um, but I felt the presence of God, mm. and I felt the hand of God, and I felt the favor of God, and I felt God holding us like I'd never felt before. Yeah. And... Um, I would cry at the goodness of God, like the weeks following his death and the things that he was doing and the miracles that were happening. Like, and not only me, it's like my kids were seeing the miracles of God and declaring like, that's a miracle from God. Mm -hmm. So we went from like this, or I went from this valley desert, where are you God to like literally feeling like I'm in the palm Mm. of God, but my husband's gone. Yeah. So it's confusing, yeah. you know, it's like, how come God, you couldn't be this close when I needed you to be before he right. passed away, you know? Right. But I'm so grateful that you're here now and that you've showed up and that you're literally carrying us through this. Cause I don't know how to do this. Mm. And I don't know how to break three little boys hearts and tell them that their daddy isn't here. And I don't know how to lead a home and be the breadwinner. And I don't know how to pay the bills and do all the things that he did. And I don't know how I'm going to pick up the pieces and try to create a whole new life, but he does and he has, and he's been leading us and guiding us and holding us and making a way. And now almost a year later, I can say like, God is real Mm. and God is near to the brokenhearted. And God cares so much about the orphans and the widows. 
And God is so good. He really is so good. And I know it's like a crazy thing to say when I've lost so much, but God is so Mm. good. He really is. And I just can't believe the miracles that he's done for us, the mountains that he's moved to get us to where we are today and the path that he's setting before us and the, um, and the lives that he's saved through the tragedy. Yeah, right. Like there's been so many lives that have been saved because of Andrew's death. Yeah. Like I, I don't even know how many, you know, I have hundreds of messages from people that were thinking about committing suicide and mm. changed their mind and called the police instead. I've been stopped by people at the school that said, thank you for sharing because of what you shared. My husband checked himself into rehab. I've gotten messages from people that are walking alongside loved ones with mental illness saying, thank you so much for sharing. Like, I feel like I finally understand what they're going through and I feel like I finally know how to support them. Like, I know that God is going to redeem what was lost and he's already done that in some really beautiful and incredible ways. It'll never make up for what I've lost and what my boys have lost and it'll never take away our pain. Uh, but God has given me and uh, my boys and our family purpose mm. in our pain already, you know, and that purpose is to help others. Yeah. And it's been really, really beautiful um, to see how he's done that. Yeah. And, and it, I know that it would make Andrew smile, yeah. you know, in my mind, I imagine Andrew leaning over the rails of heaven with a big smile on his face at all that God has done. Yeah. Yeah. And cheering us on in what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I believe that too, um, that he would be very proud of how you guys have walked through this and how you're continuing to walk through this. Yeah. Um, when you say that it was confusing, um, I, I don't know if I've ever interviewed somebody that I I feel like has put it in those words to the same degree that I felt it as well Mm. after Amanda was killed. Um, Mm. It was so confusing to me why such a tremendous impact was happening in the wake of her death. And and I was feeling so, so much joy over that impact and yet so much grief over the loss and to feel those polar opposites at the same time. This is before, you know, I learned the power of and that, you know, God is good and this world is terrible. Like mm-hmm. that we can hold that in both of those things, but and that both hold both those things in the, in our hands at the same time. But it it um it's just it was it's so confusing. And sometimes I believe, Kayla, that the the intensity with which we go through a trial or the intensity of the trial that we're going through is often correlated with the impact that it's gonna have coming out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the enemy is going to come after us in really intense ways, but God always has a plan to redeem those things in an even greater intensity and greater impact. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know if any, I'm not sure how many people can quite understand that that statement right there, unless you have a kingdom perspective. The tension, it's the tension. It's the every single day tension yeah. of joy and sorrow. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. My, 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 it's like my six-year-old gets this and mm. feels this. I went to a Mother's Day makeover at his school a few months ago. And he wrote, you know, they have like those fill in the blanks for Mother's Day. And one of the fill in the blanks was, I like it when my mom blank and blank. And he put in the fill in the blanks, I like it when my mom takes me to the cemetery 
and takes me to Disneyland. Literally the saddest place on earth and the happiest place on wow. earth in the same sentence. Wow. And that's our life. I mean, yep. that's the tension of every single day. I mean, there could be a really cool story that comes in through the morning or a really cool opportunity that comes in during the day. And then there could be a huge giant wave of grief that happens in the afternoon yeah. that is about to take me over completely. Or I could, or I could be at Disneyland in the morning with my kids and enjoying a really happy day. And then that night feel like I need to go sit at the cemetery and yeah. I'm laying on the grass crying. Like it is so the, and like you said, it's like this, it's a really, really strange place to be sitting in and living in. And there's not a lot of people that I think get it. Right. Um, and it's confusing because you yeah. do feel like pulled all over the place. And it's like a roller coaster of emotions every single day. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it you leaves feel you, a little wacky. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It leaves you asking this question too, where where it's like you want to enjoy the the joyful moments of that, but you're 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 constantly going back to, you know, in your case. But Andrew would have loved to have seen this impact. This is what yeah. he lived for. This is what he desired. This is what he wanted. And mm-hmm. why God that why why is he not here to be able to experience this level of impact? And yet it's the very that's the very reason that impact is happening. It's just a it's a, it's a mind blowing, mm-hmm. boggling thing. Um, yeah. Kayla, uh, if you feel comfortable, to, how did you share this with your boys? Yeah, yeah, that was I was dreading that day. Like as this whole thing's unraveling in the hospital, that's all you know. I'm thinking about right. is like how in the world am I going to break these three little boys' hearts that yeah. love their daddy? so much and like how am I going to raise three little boys on my own as a woman like without a man you know like how am I going to do this and how am I going to tell them and and I waited a week I stayed with my brother-in-law for a week my dad um, kept my boys for a week and I and I took a week to talk to child life specialists and to talk to God and to talk to friends and to talk to family and like figure out the best way to do that so um, they came back to the house and we met up and we all were together finally, you know, after a week. And I sat them down, all three of them on the couch, and I gave them each a fruit snack to try to get them to sit mm. still because they're boys. <laughs> and um, just explained it to them like, you know, daddy's been, you know, how daddy's been really sick. And you know how daddy's been going to the doctor a lot and daddy's been sleeping a lot because they'd already seen all of that through the yeah. summer. So they knew, you know, that he was struggling and as much as they could understand in their young minds. And I said, well, daddy got more sick yeah. and um, daddy did something that caused him to die. And uh, daddy's with Jesus now and have been with mm-hmm. Papa and as soon as I said, um, died, my six-year-old got up from the couch and went into the kitchen. It's like he had to escape the moment. Yeah. He went into the kitchen and was standing by the trash can. He told me he had to throw his fruit snack wrapper away. My little boys went outside. The child life specialist told us that they probably just want to go play because that's how kids process is through play. Yeah. So they went outside with my brother-in-law and I followed my six-year-old into the kitchen and he threw his fruit snack wrapper away and then turned around and just weeped. Mm. And I just held him in that moment. And he knew, you know, he had lost his, his grandpa 
So he knew that that daddy wasn't going to come back Mm. and he knew what that meant and he was devastated. So I just held him and we cried and yeah, we're just devastated together, you know, and it's as a parent, you try to protect your kids and for like normal parenting and normal childhood, it's like the saddest thing that can happen is like your friend being mean to you on the playground or you fall and scrape your knee in the backyard or your brother takes your toy. Like those are the things that are supposed to make them sad. And those are the things that you can help comfort. And this pain that my six year old was feeling in that moment is a pain that I couldn't just make go away. Mm. So it broke my heart too. So we just, yeah, spent the rest of the day at home. People had given us, I don't know if you received these little books that they're called When Someone I Loved Died. Yeah. Someone, when Someone I Love Dies, I think is what it's called. Yeah. It's a coloring book. Yeah. Right. So we um, sat at the, at the table and colored in this coloring book together and kind of processed what was happening. And mostly just me and my oldest son, Smith, my other two were just playing and couldn't really grasp what was going on. Yeah. So we sat there and colored and um, we were coloring the picture of the, it was comparing grief to the life cycle of a caterpillar. Mm. So we were coloring the egg and then coloring the caterpillar and then coloring the cocoon and then coloring the butterfly and talking about, you know, how, how our life's going to be now and how daddy's gone and what this means and that daddy's in heaven and having this really special conversation and then it was time to take a nap. So we closed the book and I went over to close the curtains in our living room and all the doors had been closed. All the windows had been closed. And I went to close the curtains and there was a little tiny caterpillar mm. at the top of the curtain. And so it was just this really cool moment. Yeah. I, I freaked out, you know, like I yelled yeah. like, Oh my gosh, like we were just coloring yeah. like caterpillars and butterflies. And there's literally a little tiny green caterpillar at the top of my curtain. Wow. And so I pull it down and I show my son Smith and he goes, it's a miracle from mm, God. Wow. So it was so cool. Like how God met us in each moment and how God met us that day yeah. and met us in that moment where I was dreading that day and dreading that moment, telling my boys and God showed up and literally gave us the, a miracle <sighs> in the form of a caterpillar wow. and, and, and a miracle that my son could understand, exactly. yep. you know, like it was so, and like, that was only God. Like no, why absolutely. else would there be a caterpillar at the top of my curtain right. when all my doors are closed? Like it's not a coincidence, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that would that made the day different. It made mm. the day special. It changed the atmosphere. It changed the moment, and it reminded yeah. us like who was in control. Yeah, it, it's so amazing how God shows up in those moments when you're feeling completely insufficient. You're going. Mm-hmm. You're asking the questions. How in the world am I going to, you know, tell my boys about this? And then how am I going to be able to walk through all of this with my boys? Yeah. And um, and yet God shows up right there, and He's going, "I've got this, mm-hmm. I've got this." Um, I'll never forget when a friend of mine, I was reaching out shortly after Amanda passed away and asking all these questions about, like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this for the next, you know, five years. I'm not. How am I going to be able to do this? And how am I yeah. going to be able to feel this every day? Like I'm feeling it right now. And He just simply reminded me. He said, "God doesn't give you grace for five years from now. He gives you grace for today." Mm-hmm. He gives you That's grace so for, for the moment today. He's going to show up and he's going to carry you through today. And then tomorrow, grace will be there for t- for that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And your, so your grace is in the form of a caterpillar 
What a beautiful thing. That's amazing. And it so is the one day at a time. Like I hashtag that on like a lot of like social media and like, that's how I feel. It's like, I do not know what's what's going to happen tomorrow. I do not know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. And when you're walking through deep grief and deep loss, that totally changes your life. That impacts you in a huge way, significant way. It really is that one day at a time yeah. and that one grace at a time and and that walking hand in hand with God saying, Okay, you better show up. Okay, you better you better yep. lead me to what's next. Okay, you better carry me through because I literally cannot do this. Yeah. 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 And then he does. He shows up like a little caterpillar. <laughs> <laughs> Blows your mind. Yeah. Wow. Isn't Kayla's story of finding purpose through her pain incredible? When we interviewed her, we couldn't believe the wisdom she's already gained when it comes to helping others who are dealing with mental illness, depression, anxiety, and even suicide. So we decided to continue the conversation as a bonus episode for our Nothing is Wasted monthly partners. By making a $5, $10, or $20 tax-deductible donation, you can access her bonus episode to learn more about how to help others who are dealing with the same struggles that Kayla's late husband faced. Just head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to sign up and access Kayla's bonus episode, as well as all of the other bonus episodes from the past few months. Before we dive back into our interview with Kayla, listen now to a short clip from our October bonus episode with her. And while you're at it, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to listen to the full thing. To be honest, there is just so much we don't know about mental illness. I'll never forget Andrew's psychiatrist telling us in his office, we know a drop in the ocean of the brain one single drop in the ocean of the brain. That's from a psychiatrist. So we're all still learning. You know, I think that's why sometimes medications work and sometimes they don't. And sometimes therapy and exercise helps and is healings. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes prayer works and sometimes it doesn't. It's not a one size fits all approach for mental illness. And it's a lot of trial and error. What works for you may not work for me. And that's why I think that the solution and the thing that I've think that I've learned throughout my grief process and just as I'm digging into mental illness and mental health and what is it and how can we help, I think the one thing that we can all work on and do better is to have more empathy. You know, you, you mentioned something that I, I had thought about. I, I wondered if you felt this way. You mentioned that you felt like immediately you needed to defend Andrew. Mm-hmm. And I can absolutely understand why, because especially in Christian circles, we don't have a box to put suicide or attempted suicide in. We don't talk mm-hmm. about it a whole lot. It's not a conversation that is easily, um, it's easily digested and easily, therefore, it's not very you know, it's easy to step into that conversation. And so now, fortunately, I feel like the conversation's happening a little bit more as we're seeing more pastors who are struggling with mental illness, um, struggling with anxiety and thoughts of suicide and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a we had a, someone write in a little while ago and asked if we had ever had anybody who 
had shared a story about a loved one that they lost to suicide. Mm. And I knew that we were having this conversation with you. And I think one of the questions people ask a lot is how do you reconcile this theologically? Yeah. What does that look like? And I know that you've spent a lot of time wrestling with that and mm-hmm. also feeling like you had to defend that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Talk to me about your journey in that. Yeah, it's a really good question and something that I felt right away. I yeah. remember sitting in the hospital room and not knowing if he was going to make it or not. And I remember whispering through my tears to my mother-in-law, will he go to heaven? Mm-hmm. Because there's this myth, you know, that people that die by suicide, that it's like the ultimate sin and that they, and that they don't get to go to heaven. They don't get to be with Jesus. And it's such a heartbreaking myth that's out there. It's not true. She immediately reassured me like, no, like that's not what, that's not what hinges, you know, that his salvation does not hinge on his suicide. Like his salvation hinges on his relationship with Jesus. So that was very comforting in that moment, but it was very interesting after he passed away, the comments that would come in like that from people through email or through our website or through letters or, you know, all kinds of ways that people try to connect. And that was one of those things that, um, that people wrestled with was, you know, how could this, how could this godly man who from the outside looks like he's filled with the spirit and, and close to God and, and how could, how could this happen to him? And I, I think what's helped me um, with the wrestling with that is understanding that we don't blame Andrew and we don't think this is Andrew's fault. And the terminology that we use isn't committed suicide. It's died by suicide. Mm. We don't feel like it's a chose to take his life either. It wasn't a choice, you know, and it wasn't a decision. And we don't know what was happening in those moments when he was all by himself and, and it happened. Yeah. And we don't know what kind of spiritual warfare was happening in that moment because he had been experiencing extreme spiritual warfare. Yeah throughout the summer and throughout our marriage, he had had run-ins with spiritual warfare that were very frightening to him. Mm. So we don't know what happened. And I think when we think that we do is when we get ourselves in trouble and when we start being critical of other people. There's this phrase that my mother-in-law shared. Um, Her and I ended up giving my husband's last message, his third message. Mm. We gave it together in November. And she shared this phrase, I have no idea. And she talked about how those four little words, I have no idea, have the power to change how we approach anybody and anything. And especially this conversation, it's like, I have no idea what Andrew's personal relationship with God was like. Mm. I have no idea what it was like to live with what he was living with. I have no idea what happened in the moments leading up to his suicide. And I think when we approach it that way, we're filled with compassion instead mm. of criticism. Yeah. And um, and what I've learned with mental illness and suicide is that suicide is very impulsive. And mm. um, they say like 90% of suicides are impulsive. Right. And I truly believe to my core that Andrew did not want to die. He didn't want to die. And I think the majority of people that die by suicide do not want to die. They're trying to escape the pain of a moment. And it's a pain that I will never understand. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a pain that none of us will ever understand unless we've been there. And so I think the best thing that we can do for 
people that are struggling with suicidal ideation or that are walking through depression or that are trying to express openly, you know, with us that they're struggling with those thoughts. I think the best thing that we can do is, is um, respond with a heart of compassion mm. instead of a heart of criticism. Instead of saying things like, that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. Mm. Or like, how dare you say that? Responding with questions like, well, how can I help? Mm. And, and, and responding with um, listening ears and an open mind and an open heart and following up. Yeah. When someone tells you that they're thinking about suicide, you know, you have to follow up. And that's a huge regret that I have. And um, he had he had expressed that he was struggling with suicidal thoughts over mm. the summer. And I kind of brushed it off and I responded not the best way. And I said things like, that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. And I said some of the things that I know mm. now not to say, but I was so caught off guard. And he downplayed it a lot and, and made it seem like, it was just a passing thought and it was yeah. never something that he would act on. But my biggest regret is not taking it seriously. So I think anyone that is walking alongside someone that's struggling or if they're struggling personally, I mean, the best thing you can do is take any talk of suicide seriously. Right. And there's a suicide hotline number. There's a crisis text line. You can just text. You don't even have to call. Mm. And there's friends and family and doctors that like want to surround and help, yeah. you know, and, and also the best thing you can do is if someone tells you that is to follow up and ask, yeah. like, are you still struggling or how's your day going? Or have you been having those thoughts this week? You know, my, one of my other biggest regrets is never asking about it again. Mm. He shared about it that one time and I never asked about it again. I think like most of us, I felt very uncomfortable with the topic yeah. and, I think I felt um, so uncomfortable that I, I think I felt shame as well. And I think I really, truly believed like that would never happen, mm, yep. you know, and I, and I really just didn't understand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think Andrew, even what um, a mess Sunday before two Sundays before he talked about one of the most godly men that has ever lived, you know, the prophet yeah. Elijah yeah, that desired for his life to be taken. Mm -hmm. ask God, God, just take my life. You know, you see Paul, he's, he talks about the same thing that they walked through so much hardship throughout so much. I mean, talk about leadership pressure. This guy's yeah. starting the church. He's in a spiritual movement with spiritual opposition that nobody up to this point in history had ever experienced. And so mm -hmm. he said, we've endured so much hardship. We despair of life itself. Mm -hmm. These are, these are godly, men. These are heroes of the Bible mm -hmm. that wrestle with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so it's, it, it's, it's a travesty. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, people, uh, and, and many people are well-meaning, but, but that they would, you know, suppose upon somebody because of this, what their relationship, their personal relationship with the Lord was like. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Christians at times try to make mental illness spiritual, mm. try to make something that's like actually a physical chemical imbalance, a physical illness, just as physical as cancer. Yeah. They try to make something that's a physical illness, a spiritual thing. Mm. Well, they, they must not be praying enough or they must not be in their Bible enough or they must not be in tune with God or they must be looking at pornography or they must yeah. be doing something, you know, right. that's like causing this right. to happen and they blame them. Yeah. 
And that makes the pain even worse. And it makes them feel even more isolated and even more alone, even more misunderstood and pushes them towards suicide even more. Mm. They really feel like no one gets what they're going through. You know, so it's it's not a spiritual thing yeah. at all. And I can attest to that too, because I watched my husband run to God right. and I watched him beg for God to heal him and I and I saw that the wrestling with God yeah. with that he wasn't turning his back on God. Yeah. And I wow. think that's the worst thing we can say to someone. Like we should treat people that are walking uh, through mental illness the same way we treat somebody that's walking through any other kind of serious illness and ask questions like how can I serve you and and send texts and make phone calls and show up at their door and leave dinners mm. and do all the things that we do to care for other people that are walking through other illnesses yep. you know it's, it's it's mental illness is like in this other category and we don't know how to handle it yeah. and the best thing we can do is treat it like any other illness mm. I mean, you've, you've listed out several things uh, about how to support someone who, you know, mm-hmm. is walking through some kind of a mental illness, um, whether it be, you know, to one degree or the other, whether it's all the way in the degree of like suicidal thoughts or if it's just, if it's depression or if it's anxiety or mm-hmm. are there some other ways that, that you would say you, you've learned or as you've been having conversations with people that that's helpful in, in how to walk with somebody in this if they're struggling with depression, if there's, but, but you're speaking to someone who is supporting that person and helping mm-hmm. that person in the journey, what would you say? Yeah. So I wrote a blog about a month or so after he passed away, this, um, our website, God's got this.com. And like our blog has mm-hmm. turned into like this living, breathing journal, um, where I kind of just, it's a way for me to process my grief yeah. and it's just been writing has been super therapeutic for me. So I've been writing and my mother-in-law's written some and my brother-in-law's written some on the blog and it's just been this therapy. And also just like, I have this burning inside, like mm. I need to share, like I have this message that I need to share yep. and like, I need to help people and that like God wants to help people and God wants to use me as this mouthpiece to help people. And so I wrote this blog about a month and a half after he died called Uncharted Territory. And it's a blog that I share a ton when people reach out with that question that you just asked, like, what do I do? My husband told me that he's having thoughts of suicide. Like, what do I do? My friend told me that they're struggling with depression. Like, what do I do? And in this blog, I shared three things that I wish I would have done. And the first thing, like I mentioned earlier, was take it seriously. Mm. I wish I would have taken those uh, suicidal thoughts that he had seriously. I wish I would have uh, told other people, let other people in and told the doctors what he had shared at home. And the second thing that I that I shared on that blog is treated as a team. Mm. Um, that's also kind of goes into the first thing, like taking it seriously. Like I wish I would have, it would have been more team. And that I would have gone to every single doctor's appointment with him and that I would have really clued the doctors in on what was happening at Mm. home. Um, Andrew was a really brilliant communicator on and off the stage. And I think he wanted some of his doctors to like him. And so in those appointments, I don't think he was able to be fully transparent with Mm. how he was actually doing. And, um, I wish that I could have been there to advocate for him. And I think that's important for anybody that's walking through mental illness is having a loved one that like really gets it. And then also bringing a loved one who really gets it with you to every single appointment. Wow. 
because your mind is sick and because your brain is sick, you can't think rationally and you can't process logic. And you probably can't even really describe how you're feeling and what's really going on at home. So I don't even know that Andrew was intentionally not sharing how he was really doing. I think sometimes he couldn't even put it into words. Mm. So treating it as a team is really important. And the third piece of advice that I gave on that blog was to read the books. Mm. I, over the summer... Um, when we were battling with mental illness, I filled my quiet time with books about parenting and books about being a pastor's wife and, you know, books that weren't about mental illness. Mental illness had invaded my home in so many other ways. And like, I refuse to let it invade my quiet time, Mm. but it's a huge regret that I have. And I wish that I would have got every single book I could have got my hands on about depression and anxiety and suicide. I I wish I would have filled myself with knowledge and I wish I would have tried better to understand what was happening in his body instead of dismissing it and instead of just relying on the doctors to fix him. Mm. So those are the three things that I share um, with people when they ask. And those are the three things that I wish I could go back and do all over again. Wow. What about if you're talking to somebody who like, if you're, if you were sitting here and talking to Andrew right now, mm-hmm. so you're, you're actually speaking it because we have so many people who are listening who that's them. They're not supporting somebody. That's them. They're in yeah. it right now. And it, it might be triggered by some kind of hardship they've walked through themselves. Yeah. Or it might just be something that they're struggling with and have so for all of, all of their lives or for a mm-hmm. long season. What would, you, what would you say to them? Yeah. I would say you're loved more than you know. Mm. I would say that people care about you more than you think that they do, that God loves you and that God has a plan and that this isn't the end and that things are going to get better and that tomorrow needs you Mm. and that God's got this and that you can do this and you can get through this and there's hope. Mm. I think oftentimes the person that's struggling feels so alone We have this tagline on our website that says you are not alone Mm. and it's so important to us. And, and that's the main thing that we get from people that, you know, send messages or send emails or the person that's listening right now, like they're feeling completely alone and they're feeling misunderstood and they're feeling like no one's ever going to understand the pain that they're feeling and what they're going through. And they feel like they're never going to get better. And they feel like they're a burden to everybody else. And all those feelings are true, real feelings. Like, I don't want to discredit those feelings. Like, I know those are real feelings, but those are all lies. It's just a bunch of lies. Like, it's not the truth. Yeah. And so to the person that's struggling, like you are loved more than you ever know. Mm. Like, not only by your family, but by God. And he's with you, whether you think he is or not. Like he's there and he cares and he's got a plan. Like he's got a redemption plan. He's going to get you through this. Yeah. And don't give up. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's my thing with Andrew is that I wish I could look at him and say, like, Mm. I love you so much and please don't give up. Mm. And we need you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're you're carrying this, this platform out of your pain right now. It's something that you were kind of thrust into, you know, I understand the feeling of that, but it's also something you've taken on. It's a burden. It's like, 
I describe it as a beautiful burden. <laughs> it feels weighty and it's the same kind of confusing, conflicting feeling that we were talking about earlier that what a what an honor it is to be able to partner in God's kingdom work, to be able to do these kinds of things, to help other people who are going through stuff that we've gone through. But also at the same time, it feels so weighty sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've got two questions in regards to that. What what led you to to say, you know what, I want to I want to take on this mission and this assignment and this burden. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first question. The second question is, how has that been, particularly in regards to a topic like this, that can be so mm-hmm. misunderstood and controversial? Yeah. I'm talking about something I never thought I'd be talking about. Mm. I never thought that suicide would be part of my daily vocabulary. I never thought depression and anxiety and suicide and mental illness would be a part of my story or a part of my life or impact me and my family the way that it has. But I feel like the, to answer your first question that um, taking this on and becoming a voice for this topic and becoming someone that people point people to when they're walking through this. Um, that's just been like a natural thing. That's just happened. Yeah, It's not something that I'm like trying to force to happen. It's not something that like I ever wished would happen. Yeah. It's just been something that just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Our story went viral and spread all over the world. And all of a sudden my social media went from a thousand people to like 70,000 people that are watching and listening and, and curious and, um, and, and God just keeps giving me things to say. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, it's like this, like, like I said earlier, like this burning message that you have inside that you just have to get out. Yep. And so sometimes that message comes out in a blog and sometimes that message comes out in an Instagram story or an Instagram post or a conversation Mm. or from a stage at a church. And it's this burning message that I can't just make go away. And like Mm. the only way to make it go away is to talk about it. Mm. So I keep saying yes to all these opportunities to talk about it. And my whole motivation in that is that if it helps one person, then it's worth it. Yeah. If talking about suicide and, and saying tomorrow needs you and saying you've got this and saying God's got this and encouraging people saves one life. Mm. If being vulnerable about my story and being vulnerable about Andrew's struggles and actually being willing to talk about that he died by suicide, mm. if that saves one person's life, then it's worth it because I don't want this horrible thing to happen to anybody else. Yeah. So that's my motivation to the yeses. Mm. Um, but I would describe the yes as a wrestling. Mm. It's like when I, before I go share on a stage, I'm like literally on my knees on the floor, arguing with God, mm. telling God, like, I can't do this telling God, like, why isn't Andrew here giving Mm. this message? Like, he's the brilliant communicator, not me. You know, like, I am not the best communicator. Like, you could have picked anybody to, like, carry this message that's so important and so transformative. Mm. Like, why did you pick me to talk about this? And why do you keep asking me to talk about (laughs) this? So it's this wrestling with God and this, like, I don't want to, but I feel like I have to. So I am (laughs) kind of journey. Um, 
So that's to answer your first question. Your second question, can you remind me? Yeah, so the second question was, um, uh, since this is such a controversial topic, since it comes with a lot of polarizing ideas and thoughts, yeah. how, how has that been being in such a public eye in regards yeah. to your story? Yeah, I think I have a divine peace mm. about talking about the topic. Yeah. Like the topic doesn't bother me. <laughs> like talking about it and like talking about suicide and talking about depression and talking about anxiety, like before this happened, it would have filled me with anxiety yeah. and like pushed me like away. Um, but now it's like I have no problem talking about it. And I think it's because. I've lost so much. Yeah. It's like, it takes away all that fear. Yeah. Like I went from being afraid and ashamed of this topic to like, I'm going to tell the world what we went through so that I can literally, so that God can literally save people's right. lives through our story. So I feel comfortable talking about it now. And I, and I feel like it's this um, painful privilege mm. that God has given me to share our story and to keep inviting me to share our story. And yeah, it's, it's like the thorn in the flesh that yeah. Paul talks about. It's like this annoying thing <laughs> that will not go away and you have to talk about it and you have to carry it. And that's where your purpose comes from. Like that's where my purpose comes right. from now. You know, right. like my purpose before when Andrew was alive was in being a pastor's wife and being a mom and leading the church. And that whole life died with him. Mm. So now I'm starting this whole new life and now God has put this mantle on my shoulders right. and given me this purpose that is like way bigger mm. than the purpose that I had before and the purpose that I thought my life, this track that I thought my life was on. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful purpose and, and the, um, the, the lives that he's saving through it, like it's worth it but it's so incredibly painful. Mm. It's a heavy burden to carry yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah, it's the both, it's the and. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are anointed for it. I just wanted to speak that encouragement to you. I know you've seen so many, uh, so much evidence of that over the past several months as you've been sharing this, if you, as you've been carrying this burden, but even as we've kind of followed from afar, I can, I can tell the mantle is on you. Keep stepping into it. It's a conversation that absolutely needs to be had. And, um, and I, I, I'm proud of you and I appreciate the way that you're, that you're carrying it and you're pointing people to Jesus, building up his kingdom and, um, having a conversation that people don't, you typically want to have. Mm -hmm. Thank so, you. That means so much. Really means a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank Kayla. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and, and sharing your story and, and six months to a year. I hope we get to hear from you again and mm -hmm. hear how things have progressed and how things are going for you. And, um, you know, and, and hopefully on, at some point our paths can cross. I'd love for my family to get a chance to meet your family yeah. and for you to get to sit down with, with us, Christy, and just kind of talk over some coffee or something about mm -hmm. uh, this, what you said, painful privilege, man. Um, I had someone tell me we're part of a club that nobody wants to pay the membership dues for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is, so but, um, but I'm cheering you on. I mean, we're in your corner. And so anything we can do to help, please, please let us know. Thank you. And thank you for being willing to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like that takes courage for you too, to be willing to talk about this. And so thank you.
for inviting me on and for allowing me to share my story. And I know that there's someone listening that this is going to make a big impact yeah. for. Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, an honor to be here with you. Thank you. Well, we'll put up on the podcast page all of this information, but where can people find you? Where can they follow what's going on? Yeah, so we have a website. It's godsgotthis.com. And we have a little shop on there and we share our hearts through the blog on there. And then also on social media, I'm at Kayla Steck. And so, yeah, those are pretty much our two, the two ways to find us. We have a, we have a God's Got This social media as well. It's underscore God's Got This. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's been an honor, Kayla. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Okay, friends, before you sign off, before you click to the next podcast, whatever you tend to do after these interviews, I want you to hear from our resident counselor and good friend, Allison Cook, on some of her commentary, her thoughts from kind of a, an expertise type position on, on this particular topic of mental health. So go ahead and take a listen to this. What a powerful story that Kayla has just shared. And I just really want to highlight a few things about this story. One is this idea of compounded loss. Kayla talked about multiple losses within this story starting. Well, actually, it started earlier than her father-in-law's leukemia. They had so many different things that were compounding. And then after she lost her husband, she had compounded loss. She was grieving a spouse. She was grieving the loss of her children's dad. She was grieving things that her youngest children may not even entirely understand or may not even know that they've lost. So I want you to hear me. If you are in a situation where you've experienced compounded loss, which just means it's more than one loss. It's been multiplied on many levels. You really want to talk through each one. Each one has its own layer of grief. She did such a great job of describing those different levels of grief. I also want to highlight what something she said when she said she was stunned by her husband's depression because he was such a man of God. And I really want you to, uh, to underscore what she said and what is true is that depression is not a spiritual issue. You can be spiritually so close to God and so strong and still struggle with depression. One of the things that I tell people, I use the MEPS acronym. And what that stands for is we're made up of a mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual component. And you can be strong spiritually and strong physically and struggling mentally and struggling emotionally. You can be strong emotionally and mentally and physically and struggling spiritually. You want to really, and I'll tell people to use that acronym when they're struggling and put one word, you know, mentally, I'm confused. Emotionally, I'm healthy. Spiritually, I'm disconnected. Put one word after each one to really learn to identify where you are on each aspect of what it means to be human. You can do this with your kids. You can do this with your spouse. But you're, we, I really want to underscore that depression is not a spiritual issue. It's a mental health issue. Um, I also want to underscore 
what she said about certainty. This idea that we don't know what happens when someone takes their life. She did such a good job of saying there are so many components. The brain, when when people um, look back on um, what has gone on biochemically in the brain after a suicide, that is what she said is exactly right. It is not a decision. A decision means that you're using logic and reason to arrive at a conclusion. That's not what's happening with a suicide. The brain is not allowing that. And it's no different than any form of sickness. You wouldn't blame somebody or you wouldn't talk about their spiritual life if somebody were to get a cold that would prohibit them from being able to do a certain thing. Suicide is something that happens inside the brain. We don't know exactly why, and it's different for every case. So I love that she talked about, we don't know. We know that he was struggling. The second thing that she said on the topic of certainty is this idea of both and. And I think Davy said it as the power of the and. And I just want to underscore that. Two things can be true. You can experience joy and pain side by side. You can experience fear and confidence side by side. And the more you are engaged with your emotions, the more you'll realize that's a lot of what it actually means to be whole. That's actually wholeness. Wholeness is not the absence of brokenness. It's not the absence of pain. It's actually the ability to be present to those sometimes contradictory emotions. Um, Lastly, I just want to touch on what to do if someone in your life is talking about suicide. And Kayla was so honest and transparent about her own regrets. And I couldn't help but think about all that she was dealing with, with trying to raise these three little boys while her husband was struggling. And so she was so honest to talk about her regrets, even amidst that backdrop. But if someone you love is talking about suicide, she's exactly right. Take it seriously. People don't throw that around. There's something going on in the brain and it needs to be addressed. It's no different than if someone says, I'm not feeling well physically. You want to take that seriously. You want to ask questions. You don't want to advise. You don't want to try to minimize. Ask questions about it. How often do you think about it? Do you really think about how you would do it? You want to get a sense of, is this something that is a fleeting thought here or there? Is this something they're really contemplating? And then lastly, what she said is get help. It's exactly right. Go to somebody, go to your doctor, go to a therapist. You can call a mental health hotline. We can provide you with the number. Um, But there's a 24-7 free suicide hotline that you can call if you're worried about someone you love, even if that person isn't willing to um, to call. So those are the main things I wanted to highlight from Kayla's episode. Wow, we're so grateful for Allison. Allison, thank you so much, Mel. We also, while we're in the business of thanking people, we've just got so many people that give. It's really amazing. They give to this podcast. And one of those Mm. is Ryan, Sleeping at Last, who just freely said, hey, yeah, use the music um, for... Uh, for the podcast. So thank you, Ryan. Sleeping at last, make sure you download his music. Anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. It's all incredible. Um, In fact, Mel, you may not have known this, but I wrote most of my book, Nothing Is Wasted, to his music. I listened to to that mostly to write it. And it's just one of those things that just gets you kind of in in a space, kind of gets you in the introspective thought space. And so... 
Awesome music. That's a fun little tidbit. It is a fun little tidbit. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Well, we are closing out um, this episode. It's two out of three um, of our series on mental health. Next week, we have an interview with Casey Pruitt and Natalie Franks. You aren't going to want to miss it, but Mm -hmm. here's a little clip of next week's episode. Mental health was not talked about. It's it's really strange to think how far we've come, even just yeah. within a short amount of time. But yeah. um, nobody was talking about it then, and especially in Christian circles. Right. Um, and so we had nowhere to turn. There were no like, especially Christian resources. Um, and so, you know, we for a long time, it was just like me and Natalie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like she, I was the only person she felt like she could talk to about it, and. Um, I didn't feel like, you know, back then it felt like you had to keep it a secret. Yeah. And so I felt like I was holding on to this secret um, that felt really weighty. Um, and like in the midst of that, I'm also in ministry and my mm. job is to be pouring into girls. And like I would walk onto campus already very relationally drained because I was trying to help my friend. Yeah. Um, and so what, I mean, what that ended up in is like we were both not in good places 